Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of true crime and nursing, healthcare. I mean, just you don't even know what we're going to talk about on this podcast. I would love to welcome you to the show and welcome the nurse Erica back to the show for the second time. Hey, nurse Erica, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me back again. This is exciting. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. I feel like we haven't known each other for that long, and yet it feels like we've known each other for years. We met back in May during the trial for Redonda Vaught, and I don't think I've ever hit it off so well with another person. We have the same goals in mind to try to advocate for nursing. I love everything that you stand for. And for the good nurse portion of this show, I am going to focus on Nurse Erica because, man, has she been busy this past week, and I want you guys to know all about what she has been doing. A lot of you are going to be going, I know, I know, I've been watching her TikToks. You should be following her on TikTok because, man, does she ever advocate for the nursing profession. She's been in Reno, Nevada this this past week, and I can't wait to get to the good nurse portion and talk about that. So, so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. You're too kind. And I feel the same way. It's like we just hit it off immediately during Redonda's trial and never looked back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, we're going to get into this bad nurse story, which is so incredibly disturbing. It's something that you would almost just not even want to think about, especially the details. But we're going to talk about it. I like to say we like to shine a light in the darkness on this podcast. We don't pretend like bad things don't happen. I don't think that does any good for anyone. And so we're going to talk about it because it's not going to go away anytime soon if we aren't willing to just address it head on, these types of things that happen. But not only are we going to focus on the horrible, horrible thing that a particular nurse did, but also the CEO of the hospital where this nurse worked, who failed miserably to protect the other nurse who was working at this hospital. So I can't wait to get into that. Before we get into that, though, Erica, I do want to just mention that in September, which is right around the corner, we are going to be going to Austin, Texas. Yes. For the Nurse Creator Con event. I am so excited about this event. I am too. I've never been to Austin. And this is, I know, the second year I believe that you're doing it. And I'm so happy that you invited me to be a part of it. I am not only looking forward to going and meeting people and sharing some wisdom, but also to learn from others for myself while I'm there. That's the neat thing about this event is it's going to be lots of different creators coming together. I know you have lots of insight about the TikTok app. You have almost 400,000 followers. You literally, you could practically say 400,000 followers at this point. And I think that there's a lot of people who go, how do you get 400,000 followers on TikTok? Jessica Seitz, who's going to be hosting the event. She's an absolute character. She is so funny. 
just be, she completely lights up the entire room. She is so energetic, but man, is she, does she understand Facebook? Yes, she does. She knows exactly what she's doing. She is so successful on Facebook and Facebook is not an easy social media app to really do as a business. I find it to be very challenging myself. And so the fact that she's so successful with it is pretty impressive. It really is. And we have Mike with Simple Nursing. Man, he has built this massive business from just literally educating nursing students. And he does such a fabulous job. He has helped so many nursing students get through nursing school and pass the NCLEX who otherwise would have fallen through the cracks because not everyone can go to nursing school and learn in that environment, that sort of sterile environment. He does such an amazing job of breaking things down in a way that makes it so much so easy and actually fun to learn. And he does these hysterical like parody songs to teach nursing students about different things. And he's coming out with a new one and he's going to be debuting that song there at the event that evening. And he's going to record the whole thing and use that footage to make a music video. I cannot believe, I can't even believe this is happening. It's going to be so much fun. That's exciting. Yeah, I think so too. We'll have a live podcast, like a round table type podcast. We're going to do the family feud. And then we just have like, lots of different experts that are going to be there just explaining like a legal nurse consultant to help 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 us understand how to get in if that's something you're interested in and how in the world you become a legal nurse consultant he is going to tell us how we can break into that field i'm excited to learn about that you know with me with my true crime obsession yeah. i'm de- this is something that definitely fa- fascinates me there will be a, a nurse an aesthetic nurse there to kind of explain all of that the 81. She's going to be there as well. She's such a huge advocate for nursing also. And she has a business, man. She is a businesswoman. She has written ebooks. The woman just knows her stuff when it comes to running a business, writing books. Like she's going to explain all about how you, if you've got something you want to put into ebook form, she's your expert. So she's going to be there to help us understand yeah. all about that. She's very entrepreneurial by nature, yes. I think. Not only does she do ebooks and really pushes for nurses to advance their degree and go back to school and but without going into debt doing so but she also has a line of beauty products on the side so she's got several different things going at all times exactly and i feel so fortunate to have her there for her knowledge and wisdom and expertise i am so excited for all the people and there's so many more that's going to be there also we're going to have tacos i can't i'm like this is going to be the best time ever we're going to have a cash bar tacos so you guys go to nursecreatorcon.com and register for this event. Come to Austin and see us. I cannot wait to see you there. And also the venue looks pretty cool. I haven't seen it myself in person, but the pictures look amazing. It's an art gallery, right? It is an art gallery. It's at Rich's Art Gallery, and it's going to be an indoor and outdoor event. We're going to have a huge tent with tables and a stage and sound system and all that stuff. And it's Austin, Texas, of course. You know, it's just, it's a very artsy kind of town anyway. And this little art gallery is just perfect. I cannot tell you how excited I am. It just it's going to be the coolest thing ever. I just cannot wait. One thing I will say, though, is that seats are limited just because it is a relatively small venue. So we're offering online tickets. But if you're wanting to be there in person, you really should get your tickets now. Because by the time we have Erica and her 400,000 people and she starts talking, (laughs) if my listeners want to jump on, you better go secure your tickets now. Because, you know, like I said, in-person tickets are limited. So I I definitely want to see you guys there. I would love to see you there. 
Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast, and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. So I guess we can get started with this, oh, this story. Before we get started, I do want to say, there, I'll give you a little trigger warning. This episode may not be suitable for all listeners. It does detail explicit descriptions of domestic violence. So definitely exercise discretion if that's something you know, that that would bother you to listen to, you might want to sit this one out or maybe just fast forward to the part where we get to talk to Erica about all her advocacy. So this is the story of Mark Kettner, former CEO of Eastern State Hospital in Medical Lake, Washington. So Eastern State is a psychiatric hospital. And on September 14th in 2022, Kettner resigned from his position amid an investigation concerning a former nurse, Josh Phillips. The probe is scrutinizing the management decisions involving Phillips and his assault against another nurse. So on July 28th in 2019, Jessica Braun came into work visibly distressed. Her coworkers observed Braun crying at work and were alarmed to see that she didn't have any eyelashes. She had strangulation marks across her neck. She had been in a romantic relationship with Phillips. And according to investigation notes that were made public, management notated that Phillips was a no-call, no-show for his shift on July the 18th. So Braun was listed as his only emergency contact, and management reached out to her to obtain information about Phillips' whereabouts. So Braun, still justifiably distressed, informed management that Phillips was incarcerated for domestic violence and attempted strangulation against her. Management allegedly reassured her that she was safe at the hospital and encouraged her to take a weeks-long FMLA break. They also allegedly assured her that the appropriate people would be notified of the incident. Management offered to get her in contact with CISM, Critical Incident Stress Management, is what we're thinking that stands for, to which she declined that. She attested that she was able to perform her job responsibilities without distractions. So days later, per investigation notes, management and Braun met with Human Resources Department. Now, the reason for the meeting wasn't documented. However, the notes indicated that she was provided with the FLMA paperwork and information for EAP, which, of course, is Employee Assistance Program. So per the notes, she again expressed concern for her safety at work, fearful of retaliation from Josh. And this is, it's so disturbing. I know how this story plays out. So reading these words is absolutely bone chilling to me. 
Management allegedly reassured her that she was safe at work, but told her to be aware of her surroundings and if other issues occur, to contact her victim's advocate, police department, or crime check. Okay. That's really reassuring. Phillips contact, contacted management, per the notes, later on July 28, 2019, to advise that he was having a, quote, family emergency and would be out through July 31st, 2019. Now, is that what we're calling jail time these days? <laughs> family emergencies? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if management got an automated message before the call. This is a collect call from Spokane County Jail. Press one to accept this call. I mean, did the caller ID say Spokane County Jail? You would think. I mean, they typically do. Yeah. Yeah. They must have known. I mean, how else would he have well, been able to I reach Well, I suppose them? there is the possibility that he could have called someone else and then a three-way call. The third person could have called the hospital perhaps is that but maybe i guess that's a that's definitely a possibility we'll leave that open to possibility so when august 1st 2019 rolled around phillips once again was a no call no show to his shift now erica yes i have to say that i for i'm one of those people that i never call in i never call in for anything i mean like i have in the 7 years that i've been a nurse I can count on one hand how many times I've called in. And the two times, honestly, that I can remember ever calling in, I was absolutely on, like, there was no way I was going to be able. I was so incredibly deathly. At one time I had COVID and there was just, there was no getting it. There was right. no way. And the other time I had a stomach bug and it, it, oh my gosh, it was like the worst, the absolute worst. Well, most places when you have a no call, no show, it's an automatic mm-hmm. termination. Unless you can provide definitive proof that you were in a car accident or something and really incapacitated and unable to call. Otherwise, it's almost always a termination. So do you think jail somehow met those requirements. They were like, oh, jail, right, fine. Like a car accident, you know, completely incapacitated or jail. Well, it sounds like he was not forthcoming about being in jail. So I don't even think we can give them that benefit of the doubt. My question Mm -hmm. is, why was he given so many chances? Right. It's one thing to call in sick, but then to have no call, no shows in addition to that's really egregious. I know. I just can't imagine not being fired. I I mean, I'm also a chicken when it comes to anything like that. Like I'm just such a rule follower that... I would just assume I would be fired immediately. I would just be like, I know I'm fired and just leave. (laughs) It's hard for me to imagine someone being a no-call, no-show twice and not losing their job. It's unbelievable. Well, his family actually called management later on and told them that he was sick and would be out for the next week. So this was pre-COVID. Even when I had COVID, I had to call every day. I'm like, yep, mm-hmm. still have COVID. Yep. <laughs> you know, I still have a fever. I still can't, you know, come in. But it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what you felt like. You still have to call. Like, Absolutely. Somehow they were like, no, nope, he's going to be sick for a week in advance. Just letting you know. Probably the reality was he was in jail and was waiting to bond out. Well, a leaked email from a director of nursing to management outlined the staff's concern for Braun's safety. Per the email, Phillips was charged with domestic violence, and despite the charge, he continued making visits, big surprise, to her house. Now, they went on to cite that there was a conflict 
to ensuring her safety at the workplace as Phillips was an RN3 and in charge of staffing. So let's, why don't we, this is a good idea. I love this. Let's give your abuser access to when you work. Exactly. They have full control over it. Isn't that great? That's a great idea. They can know exactly when you're going to, where you're going to be for 40 hours out of the week. They can make sure your shifts align with your abuser so that the mental abuse can continue. Seems like great judgment. Absolutely. Yeah. So not only did they have her working in close proximity with her abuser, which is bad enough, but now they have him with access to her schedule and in some type of a supervisory position over her. So there's that threat of, you know, your employment and your safety. Exactly. In this email from one of the coworkers, they said, how can he still work here with these charges? Jennifer would have died if her son wouldn't have been there. So basically they were saying that according to her account of what happened, he would have killed her had her son not been there to intervene. This is in an email to management about this case. Okay. So they all knew about it. Yes. There's documented proof that they all knew about it. Right. So the email from the nursing direction was not the only email that hospital management received regarding Phillips. Dozens of emails detailed staff members' concerns of Phillips and pointed out what they considered warning signs. Kim Dimitrovich, a hospital employee, stated in an interview that she knew that Phillips was, quote, bad news and that the administrators were aware, too. The hospital allegedly hired Phillips with the knowledge that he had been violent with his then-wife. So despite management's notes indicating that they were going to report Phillips' assault against Braun to the appropriate channels, the hospital did not take the necessary action and make the state aware of the situation. They did not adhere to their own policies and procedures. Braun then obtained a restraining order against Phillips, however— Phillips was permitted to return to work and in a position of authority over Braun. The hospital also failed to report Phillips' domestic violence conviction linked to the assault charges in 2020. I do not understand how he was even hired with them knowing that he had a history of domestic violence against his wife. You know, in nursing, we really cannot have anything on our record Everything is transparent, and if you don't disclose it, that can not only affect your job, but your licensure. How on earth, with something like that, a violent crime, was his license not impacted, and was he still able to not only get a job as a nurse, but in some sort of a managerial-type position? There are so many amazing nurse creators out there right now. How would you like to come to a really cool city, Austin, Texas, and not only get to meet some of these most fascinating nurses, but get to learn from them how they became successful? We're meeting up in Austin, Texas on September 24th at an absolutely adorable art gallery where we're going to get to hear them teach masterclasses on everything from Facebook to TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and even me. I'll tell you all about podcasting, how to get sponsors, all of that stuff. Not only are we going to have masterclasses, we're also going to have a fun evening of entertainment and food, taco bar. Dinner and non-alcoholic beverages are included in the ticket. And then we're also going to have a cash bar. So hurry and get registered because tickets are on sale right now with an early bird price and in-person tickets are limited. So I can't wait to see you all there. Go to nursecreatorcon.com to register. That's nursecreatorcon.com to register. Or we also will put the link on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. 
Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD Stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet and I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products, greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash goodnursebadnurse. Be sure and put the forward slash goodnursebadnurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care, be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash goodnursebadnurse. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes this stethoscope so amazing, um, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. You know, I'm the last person to to believe that you can't be rehabilitated. I believe in rehabilitation. I do. I believe in a society in which people make mistakes and should be allowed, you know, to learn from those mistakes and have education. And were he to have been in a situation where, you know, he made a mistake and did something horrible, and then he can show like, hey, I went through these anger management classes. I did this. I did that. Here's a letter from my ex-wife or my, the person that I, is saying that they believe that I've changed, I apologize to them, that they think I'm sincere, no, whatever that you can do to kind of turn your life around and show that you've turned your life around. I don't believe in completely ruining someone's life because of a mistake. But in this particular case, according to everything that we have out in front of us, it, it seems as though 
this man was just allowed to behave any way he wanted to and just literally got away with it. it. There were no consequences. There clearly is a pattern of behavior multiple times with simil- major similarities. Well, in regard to the restraining order against Braun, the hospital allegedly did not have a clear process for staff to follow. So a local newspaper interviewed various supervisors about protocol for a restraining order and a multitude of different responses were received. Court records indicate Phillips has a criminal history dating back to 2001 with charges including domestic violence, disorderly conduct, and malicious mischief. Another one was interviewed by a local news outlet who stated that she dated Phillips after meeting him in an in Eastern State Hospital. She requested that her identity not be revealed, but did send the following text message to the news outlet. She said, it's taken me years to recover from what he had done to me and my family. The hospital didn't do anything. They didn't care. He is a nurse. I was not. Simple as that. And that's how she felt. She felt like she was not listened to, that she was not respected when she said what had happened. Unfortunately, Philip's cycle of violence did not end with Braun. This is where, you know, in these stories, I do these stories week in and week out, and I talk about all kinds of different things that happen. Unfortunately, I have done way too many stories where one partner will be, you know, so controlling over the other. And I would say a large percentage of them, most of them are men against women, male against female, where... If a female tries to leave a male in a relationship like this, then they are so incredibly controlling that they cannot, they would rather ruin their own life, ruin their life, than to allow that person to go on existing and not be able to control them. It's as if their their ego is so bruised and so fragile that they just can't somehow walk away and accept that somebody doesn't want to be with them anymore. They have to really just take it to the extreme. And so that kind of is what brings us to this horrific, horrific thing, as if it's not bad enough. Casey Dewey was an employee of Eastern State Hospital where she met Josh Phillips. The two began a romantic relationship. It's uncertain how long the relationship was. I do know that there were some accounts that said that they were living together. So by early April 2021, Dewey had terminated the relationship and kicked Phillips out of the home. She had received about 100 text messages from Phillips after the breakup. Some of them were very disturbing. She felt the need to protect herself and her family by changing the locks on the home to deny him access to the home. Locks, however, as you well know, do nothing against someone who is bound and determined to hurt another individual. And if they are determined to do it, there is not a whole lot, unfortunately, that you can do to prevent them from coming in, short of really, you know, just getting away from them and hiding and or protecting your arming yourself in some way. So two days after the locks were installed on April 11th, Dewey and her five-year-old daughter were brutally attacked by Phillips at their home. Dewey had two other children that were at the time visiting their father for the weekend. So as their visit with their father ended, Dewey was scheduled to pick them up from the father's Spokane Valley home. The children attempted to contact her on multiple occasions, but they were unable to reach her. So their father dropped them off at her house and left. The children tried to get into the house, but the doors were locked. So they didn't have a key. So they used a ladder to climb through a window in the home. The home was in complete disarray, and they said that was very unusual. So they 
weren't able to find their mother. They continued to look for her. They walked outside, and there was a detached garage. They heard a car running inside the garage. They tried to get into the garage, and they weren't able to. They called 911, and it's not really clear whether the children called 911 or if they went to a neighbor and they, but someone called 911 and police arrived, found an absolutely horrific scene once they were able to get into the garage. Dewey and her young daughter were found in there. Blood was spattered everywhere and even smeared on the cars. There was a container of jelly beans found on the floor next to the victims. Law enforcement remarked that the scene demonstrated a, quote, violent encounter indicating that there was a struggle with blood in numerous places around the garage. The young child, this young five-year-old child, had been stabbed seven to ten times. Several organs had been hit, her throat. She was hanging on to life, and they transported her to the hospital. And on her way, she told the medics that the man stabbed me. So they rushed her to surgery. Dewey was actually, the mother, was tragically pronounced dead at the scene. Josh Phillips was also found there and taken to the hospital. He apparently had tried to commit suicide. So the detectives apparently attempted to try to talk to him at the hospital, but he wouldn't say anything. But there was a nurse there who said that he told her that he had attempted to commit suicide in the garage for two hours and that he, quote, had a daughter with stab wounds. Now, this is all according to news reports, and we'll put those links, uh, of course, on the website and in this post, but where you can read the actual news articles where all of this information is found. But there was a pill bottle apparently at the scene covered with bloody fingerprints, so it's assumed that he ingested an undisclosed amount of that medication in attempts to end his life and then possibly turned on the car ignition in trying to make sure that it actually worked, you know, just in case it was like his backup plan, you know, through carbon monoxide poisoning. But because the children came home and found them before he actually died from his wounds or from the medication overdose and the carbon monoxide poisoning, he, it was a failed attempt. And so now he is alive And this five-year-old little girl is going through rehab and trying to learn to walk again, and her mother is gone. And there's question if the five-year-old girl may have some permanent, I believe it was esophageal damage permanently. So even though she's lucky enough to have survived, she's lost her mother and may very well have permanent physical damage as a result. And of course, her other two kids lost their mom as well. I mean, this is just truly, truly a tragedy. It is. It's just awful. You know, he's been charged with murder and attempted murder. His ability to stand trial is going to be dependent upon the results of a psychiatric evaluation. The investigation regarding Kettner, the CEO, and the hospital's alleged mishandling of his case is still ongoing. So, I mean, if you stop and think about it, is it possible you don't know. The thing is, you don't know what would have happened had they not ever allowed him to be hired once the allegations from this other issue came out. Had they just said, oh, you're, you know, we're not going to hire you since all of this, you know, went on. He would have not met this person. Who knows how, you know, what would have happened. I guess it's possible he could have targeted another individual somewhere else. Well, my question is, where was the risk manager for the hospital in all of this? If you work in risk management and 
you are aware that there are emails being sent stating that employees do not feel comfortable with him there, that they know of his violent encounters, and this is actually documented, wouldn't you as a risk manager say, look, we need to cut our losses. God forbid something happens. We are absolutely liable, potentially. I cannot believe that they just continued in light of so many examples to allow him to continue to work there. I completely agree. And I think it was so disrespectful of the women who were targeted by him and any potential victims. I mean, if you have this sort of history, like I said before, I totally believe in rehabilitation. And it would be one thing if you had that on your record, but then you were able to somehow explain what happened, explain how you've moved on from that, how you've changed or any, anything like that. I, I, I do think there's a case for saying, you know, that people have the ability to do better. You know, I believe people have the ability to do better. But there was no indication that anything like that had happened, that it was just this ongoing escalation, even of behavior, which it just like went from bad to worse. And it was just ignored. And, you know, I have to wonder if roles were reversed and it was the female in that supervisory position, would she have been kept there? You know, as we know, nursing is a very female dominated profession. But, and I don't know about you, but I've seen time and time again throughout my career that the male nurses are disproportionately promoted over their female counterparts, even when they do not have the equivalent degree or experience as their female counterpart. And so I just wonder, would it have been the same if roles were reversed? I think that's a very interesting observation that you make there. I've wondered the same thing myself. When I see, you know, hospitals with male, you know, managers and male CNOs, it's not that I in any way would say you shouldn't hire a male manager, you shouldn't hire a male CNO. I'm not saying that. But I do have to wonder, in a female-dominated profession, was there really not a female that was qualified, maybe even more qualified, with more experience, how does it happen in such a hugely female-dominated profession that a man, that so many men are able to end up in management? It is so common. I've seen it my entire career. And, you know, the math doesn't add up. If you are only a small percentage of the workforce and consistently a large percentage of management, something fishy is going on. Right, right. And I, uh, some of the male, you know, nurse managers that I've worked with and the male nurses that I've worked with, awesome nurses, awesome managers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love working with male yeah. nurses. It's often much easier. Mm-hmm. There's, there can be less drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. But I do think that sometimes they are promoted mm-hmm. over their female counterparts. Well, and even the idea that there's less drama, you know, that probably plays into that stigma, probably somehow plays into the perception, you know, that people have of, well, men are better at managing. But the fact is that you know, there are, in a female, like I said, in a female-dominated profession, you cannot convince me that there are not females that are out there that are applying for these jobs that are more than qualified that would be excellent managers and CNOs or what directors or whatever the position is and yet you know time and time again 
we definitely see that the farther up the chain you go in management, the more male dominated it seems to get. Absolutely. Well, we'll keep an eye on this story. It's it's one that is to me very, very disturbing. I do not, I could not believe, you know, the story of a, a man who a woman has broken up with him and the man has decided, oh, you, I, I can't have you. Nobody will have you. I'm going, this is something that these are stories I do week in and week out. There are, there are so many of them. I literally have to go, you know, I come across them all the time. And so in my bank of stories that I have, I can't do, I could do one of those every single week. I have to put them aside and go, no, I just did that last week. I'm not going to do that again, because there are so many. It's so incredibly disturbing. I get so frustrated. I get so incredibly frustrated with our society. And I don't understand. I really don't understand. To know that some of these could have been prevented is just so frustrating. Yes. And the fact that it seems like management and administration, for whatever reason, don't seem to take it seriously. How can you not? How can you bury your head in the sand? Again, this is why I do this podcast. I refuse to bury my head in the sand. I refuse to not talk about it. People want to act like, you know, oh, it's funny. Oh, why would you want to watch true crime? Why do you want to, you know, focus on negative things or things, bad things that happen? Well, because they happen. <laughs> if you don't talk about it, then how in the world are you ever going to figure out why they happen? What can you do pre- to protect yourself? What can you do p- to prevent it? If you are a potential perpetrator, maybe you're somebody who has it in you to do act this way. Maybe you can recognize that within yourself and say, wow, this is toxic the way I'm feeling right now. Maybe I need to get out of the situation. Maybe I need to get some help. Maybe I need to get therapy. You know, before you go judging people for wanting to focus on some of this stuff, stop and think about the consequences if we just, as a society, pretend like this stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, and maybe also recognize the signs of a toxic workplace where they are made aware of, you know, potentially dangerous situations and they gaslight essentially their employees and telling them things like just be aware of your surroundings. That's, you know, just be aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. You're in no danger at work. Yeah. How can you possibly guarantee that and say that if you're allowing the abuser to come back to work and work in a position of authority over the victim. How could you possibly say that? But they did. It's disgusting. It is. And, you know, I was a little curious of what has become of that CEO. I know the case, I believe, is still open and ongoing, but I did a little sleuthing Mm -hmm. and there is another Mark Kettner in the same state working for Providence Hospital now as a CFO rather than a CEO, working with finance. Mm. So, you know, I can tell you in my experience working with management that it's very common, unfortunately, to have people in higher administrative C-suite level positions just get shuffled around. Even when something terrible Mm. takes place and they're fired, they just get shuffled around and everyone's aware. It's really disheartening. Wow. Well, it, it goes back to no consequences, you know, no consequences for that lack of judgment. Like, why are we putting people like that in these positions to create? Th- this is a system problem. There should have been systems in place to protect employees in this situation. That's literally your job. That's literally your job. Not only was there no system, no protocol in place, but upon learning of this, they didn't move forward 
A, to do anything to protect the employees, but B, to put a protocol in place. They really just drop the ball again and again and again. It's really unfortunate. And we'll, we'll keep an eye on the story. Of course, this is, this is an ongoing in- investigation. He has been charged. He is currently in jail on like a $1.5 million bond or something like that. So he will be standing trial, I'm assuming. And everyone is innocent until proven guilty. We definitely don't want to do anything to undermine our criminal justice system, our wonderful criminal justice system that does such a good job. You know, incarcerating people. Indeed. (laughs) I'm getting so cynical. So am I. (laughs) With graduation season already in motion, now's the time to plan for the next steps in your career. When I first started my career, I remember feeling so insecure, like I just didn't have any resources. That's why I recommend checking out the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare. HCA Healthcare's year-long nurse residency program is tailored to support newly graduated nurses and ease that first-year anxiety. With benefits like continued education, including state-of-the-art simulation training, student loan assistance, tuition reimbursement, endless career growth opportunities, and more. Plus, HCA Healthcare gives you the opportunity to advance your career in one of the largest healthcare systems in the country, and you'll have support from a community of caring, experienced nurses and fellow nurse residents. Don't wait. Students who are preparing to graduate and recent grads are eligible to apply to the nurse residency program at HCA Healthcare. Learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare, an equal opportunity employer. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. Well, I guess we can get get we can move right along to our good nurse story. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. First of all, I haven't even been able to talk to you since you've been back about so this is almost like catching up and finding out all the deets of what happened in Reno. I am I was so fascinated. I kept looking I'm like, has she done another story? Has she done it? I couldn't necessarily be there for the lives. And I was like, she posted another video. I want to see what's going on. For those of you that don't know, so the nurse Erica, she does have a TikTok called the nurse Erica. She's also on Instagram. She's on Facebook. She has a huge following. Her people who follow her absolutely love her. And for good reason. It's because they feel like she is a voice for nursing, which she is. She is not afraid to speak her mind. She's not afraid to speak up for us and say what needs to be said. What a lot of us, you know, who are working at the bedside, who are just like, oh, you know, like things you say in the break room, things that you say in the supply room, where you're just like, oh, nobody cares. These people in management, they don't care. You know, like you just say all that stuff in the shadows, but you don't feel like you have the courage Erica is not afraid to speak up and say the stuff like literally in public on her very public TikTok account and Instagram account. Um, So Erica, I appreciate you so much. I am so proud of you, as I've told you. Oh, thank you. Oh, you do such a good job and you're so good at it. You're so good at just explaining what's going on, telling people 
everything just plainly. It's like your insight is amazing. I told my husband that this past week, we kind of had a little something going on that I was just like, I'm going to reserve judgment until I find out from Erica. She's just so good. (laughs) Her judgment is just spot on. I just trust her. I appreciate that. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, I want you to just tell everybody what happened, what was going on. Why were you in Reno, Nevada? I know you live in Nevada, but several hours away. Yeah. So I'm in Las Vegas and I became aware that up north, Reno, St. Mary's Hospital, St. Mary's Regional Medical Center, that they had been leaning towards a strike for quite some time. They had a strike vote and I believe they had like a 99% vote in favor of striking, very high. And I had kept in communication with several employees there and finally found out that, in fact, they were going to move ahead, that negotiations with the hospital had been unsuccessful and they were going to go ahead and strike. And they submitted, you have to, by law, give a 10-day strike notice. They actually gave 13 days, I believe, more than is required. And so I knew and I said, look, if I can, I will go. I will fly up there or drive up there. It's actually the same state, but pretty darn far. And made kind of a last minute decision to drive up there and just really lend support to them and help amplify their voice in any way that I can. So they, the St. Mary's nurses were striking for three or four different reasons. One was that the hospital has still two and a half years into this pandemic failed to compile a stockpile of PPE. Like, are you kidding me? That has long since been mandated by the government. And they're saying, no, we have virtually no supply of PPE. And if we get another hard wave, we're screwed. Another issue was that the hospital was only willing to give them a 2% wage increase. Now in that area, they have a 9% inflation rate. So do the math. That is a pay cut right? That's a pay cut. It is not a wage increase. It's not even cost of living, you know? And another reason they're striking is because their medical health insurance is just terrible. The hospital has chipped away at it little by little for so long that there's virtually nothing left. They, I understand that they don't want to cover spouses. They don't want to allow anyone to see anyone outside of prime health which is who owns St. Mary's. And of course, there's not enough specialists or all specialties covered through Prime Health locally. So that's really a problem if you have some sort of a condition that you need to see a specialist. And the hospital is has not been abiding by the nurse-to-patient ratios that were outlined in their previous contract. So really four big reasons. One of those alone would be egregious enough to strike, but they had these four big reasons. And so the nurses backed by their union, they're represented by the uh, California Nurses Association and National Nurses United, they're kind of one in the same, went ahead and did a one day, a 24 hour strike. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of the 24 hour strike, because I just don't feel like it's as impactful as an open ended or a longer strike. But what they did was actually pretty cool. They coordinated this 24-hour strike with multiple other hospitals who also had 24-hour strikes the same day. So there was Shasta Regional Medical Center in Northern California, same day, 24 hours. Also Prime Health, I believe. There was a couple other Prime Health. There was one or two, I believe, gosh, I can't think of the name of them. 
But they came to negotiations, a tentative agreement just prior and were able to avert a strike. There was also Kaiser in California that had a two-day strike, same day. So they really maximized this and used it to their benefit because there really just weren't enough resources to go around. And by resources, I mean replacement nurses. So that put, you know, extra pressure on all the hospitals participating or all the nurses that were on strike. But the energy there in Reno was amazing. It was amazing. I always get nervous when I go to these things. You know, I'm very keenly aware that I am not there as an official representative. I am not part of their union. And I just don't want to step on anyone's toes. And I want to let the union do what the union does best, but just amplify it and bring awareness to it if I can through my platforms. And they were so welcoming. They were so happy to see me. And everyone was thanking me all day. I was able to interview a traveler that they had just recently terminated from there earlier that week because she spoke out about unsafe conditions. And it was just a great day. So much energy there. There was a lot of marching, a lot of honking, and a lot of camaraderie. And the one thing I took away from it that I can say consistently from everyone I spoke to, both at the strike and from messages that I received pre-strike and post-strike, is every employee says, look, this is not St. Mary's anymore. Ever since Prime Health bought out St. Mary's. It is not the same place. We used to be so proud to work here. We used to have nurses with so much longevity where they were born here and their kids were born here. And it was such a community feeling in the hospital. And these were, you know, amazing nurses that were so proud to work here that had so much experience and specialty and expertise. And now no one wants to stay there. And they're so sad and disappointed that St. Mary's is not the St. Mary's that they knew it to be for generations. That's so sad. That kind of reminds me of the way a lot of nurses are feeling across the country about nursing in general. You know, just this is just not the nursing that I knew, you know, 20 years ago. And I've not been a nurse that long. I've only been a nurse seven years. So I think when I came into it, it was bad. It was already bad. And there were already nurses who'd been in it for 20, 30 years who were recognizing it and were saying, I remember hearing them say, you know, this is not the nursing of 20, 30 years ago. Um, and I knew it was something was wrong. And I knew, I, but I didn't know what to do. You know, it was so new. And then, of course, a pandemic hits. And it's if you thought it was bad before, did it ever get really bad now? And it's like, you know, some of these, especially some of these big corporations that own, you know, these huge conglomerate corporations that own all these hospitals, and they almost get a monopoly in a region to where you can't go anywhere else. Like the nurse, the patients have no choice but to go to that to hospitals and doctors within that in that corporation and staff. You know, if you work for one hospital and for this company and you don't like the way they run things, you don't like their policies, you can't just quit and go to another hospital because the other hospitals are owned by the same company. It's the same, you know, same song, different verse. Yeah. And that's what they were verbalizing is that there's really only three hospitals there in the area to begin with. So they really don't have much of a choice. And one of the hospitals just barely opened and does not have 
many things in place yet. So in a way, there's only two, really. They just don't have a lot of options and they are fighting back. They're using their collective voice and the power of their union to fight back and to, you know, take some power back because ultimately it's about the patients. If nurses don't feel safe, patients are not safe. Well, I think that's what the public needs to understand is when nurses go this far, it's because they've already given of themselves everything that they have to give. They've sacrificed them. They've sacrificed their breaks. They've sacrificed taking in water and hydrating themselves. They've sacrificed their feet. They've literally sacrificed their whole existence for their profession, for their patients, and they still feel like there is nothing else that they can give and they still feel like their patients are in jeopardy. And that's why you they get pushed to this point that they're just like, okay, I don't know what else you want me to do. I'm already not taking lunch breaks. I'm already not going to the bathroom. I'm already not drinking water as I should. I don't have anything else to give and I still feel like my patients are unsafe. So I have to do something else. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's where every nurse is at now. Unfortunately, they are really just at their ending point. They have hit the wall. There is no more left to give. There is nowhere else to go. Exactly. And, you know, my thing is I... Well, I want to advocate for nurses to be able to take their lunch breaks. That's ridiculous. You work 12 hours and get a 30-minute lunch break. 30 minutes. If you're lucky, most of the time you don't even get that. Right. You're literally fighting for a 30-minute lunch break when most people work Mm -hmm. eight-hour shifts and take an hour for for lunch. And And how many times are you interrupted if you're lucky enough to get that 30-minute lunch break? Right. And and you're not allowed to have water at the nurse's station. You're just, you know, you're just told, you know, oh, no, we can't have water at the nurse's station. That's against OSHA. It's an OSHA violation. And so you just go 12 hours on your feet, walking up and down the halls, just stressed out, not able to drink anything. And, you know, you're in your eight hours into your shift before you realize, have I even gone to the bathroom? And it's too much. It's way too much. So we should be fighting for that. And instead... We can't even fight for that. We're having to fight for nurse-to-patient ratios to protect our patients, for crying out loud. That's We're literally so far behind because of the pandemic that our patients are going to continue to suffer more and more because more and more nurses are just going to just say, I can't do this. I cannot live and work in this environment where I leave here feeling like my patients were in jeopardy throughout my shift because I could not spread myself so thin that, you know, that you know, I could get around to everybody and feel like everybody was well taken care of and safe. And you can't live like that for very long as a nurse. You cannot. You will go home. Nurses are we're way too empathetic. We feel very deeply. So even though we're able to maybe put those things aside during our shift because we have to, we kind of have to like compartmentalize, take care of our patients, not feel too deeply do our thing. When we go home, oh yes, it comes out. It does. It often in the car before you've even left the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's different for all of us. Some people will sit there in the car before we even leave to go home and can't even drive. You can't even drive your car because it's like, you can't, you're just going to sit there and cry. Or you almost disassociate driving home. You don't even know how you got home. You don't remember driving home because you're just trying to process everything that you weren't given the opportunity yeah. to process while you, while it happened. Yeah. You're just in a daze and then you get home. The way I am is I tend to just, I stay in that compartmentalized state 
for a while. Like I go home and my husband will be like, how was your shift? And I'm like, no, 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 don't don't ask me. I I can't, I cannot go there. I'm just like, do not, I got to, we got to change subject. And then at some point the next day, it's like, either he'll ask me a question or I'll start talking. And all of a sudden details of my shift will start coming out. And oh my goodness, it just pours out like Niagara Falls. I'm just like, going on and on and on about all the things that happened. The next thing I know, I'm crying. I'm all upset. And he's going, we got to figure out something else for you to do. You just can't do this yourself. This has happened so many times. And, you know, what we really need, in my opinion, is for the public to become aware yes. and support nurses. You know, we are pretty good as nurses to share these things within the medical community, and we're all aware of it. But try as we might, I mean, I've given countless interviews, and try as we might, the public still remains vastly unaware, just ignorant to the reality of this. And if we had public support, if the public knew how unsafe it was for them, for their loved ones, to be in the hospital right now, they would be supporting nurses. They would be demanding change because by supporting nurses, you are supporting patients. That's what we really need. We've got to get this information out to people. We absolutely do. There are so many things that I want to advocate for. And of course, most recently, I've been trying to advocate to have laws passed to protect us from being, you know, criminally prosecuted for making a mistake while we're doing our job. Not asking (laughs) much. Imagine that. So (laughs) we're working on that. I mean, how ridiculous. It's like, you know, we can't advocate for water and breaks because we have to advocate for safe staffing ratios. And we can't even advocate for safe staffing ratios because we have to advocate for not being sent to prison for making a mistake while we're doing our job in unsafe staffing ratios while not getting lunch breaks and water breaks. And And advocating for PPE ourselves and our families and our patients. The most basic, just elementary basic thing that an employer is supposed to provide. And here we are two and a half years later, and they still haven't gotten it together. Yes. And it is about money. It is about wanting to stay within their budget, wanting to stay in the black when it comes to their budgeting. And I, you can't tell me that they can't find the money to a- allocate toward having plenty of PPE to protect literally what the P stands for. One of those P's, protective, personal protective equipment. That is what it is for. And it's something that we all have a right to when we're taking care of the public is to protect ourselves against bodily fluids and foreign, you know, bacteria floating through the air, whatever. We have the right to protect ourselves against those things and still to take care of our patients. Absolutely. They can't afford it. They just don't want to because let's face it, it increases their profit margins if they don't provide it. That's the reality. That's why they don't provide enough nurses because it increases their profits. I just wonder if people listening to this are not being like, sure, how can this be true? I feel like people, it sounds so unbelievable. It just really, and I'm just like, you guys, it's true. It is, right. it's just, we couldn't make this exactly. stuff up. Like it's unfortunately the reality that we're all living in. You are living in this world right now, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to recognize it or not. If you have to go to a hospital, you are living in a world right now yes. where it is grossly unsafe to go to a hospital anywhere in the United States because we do not have safe staffing. We do not have enough nurses willing to work at the bedside under the conditions that we have to work in. We do not have 
our nurses and other staff members being protected. It, no, it's it, yeah. it, something has to be done. Something absolutely has to be done I to agree. protect the public. Absolutely. Well, Erica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Absolutely. And you guys can find the Nurse Erica at the Nurse Erica on all social media platforms, especially on TikTok. You definitely need to follow her. Of course, you can find me, Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Please follow me on all the social media places. I'm trying very hard to put more content out there. We're doing pretty good with that lately. And you can send me an email if you'd like, tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. Just remember that, you know, I'm a human being. I have feelings. I'm a very deep feeling person. I'm very empathetic. So I do have feelings and I get my feelings hurt pretty easily. And if there's something that I say that hurts your feelings, just trust me. There's nothing that I would want less than to say something that would injure another person. I try really hard not to do that. And yet I've caught myself, you guys have pointed it out, where I've said something just so incredibly stupid and ignorant. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that was about the dumbest thing I could have said. And you know what? Because you sent me those emails, I stopped doing that. So I appreciate you letting me know. You could be nice about it though. You Be nice. I promise you. I'm a very flexible person. I will change. I'm very open-minded. I will change my ways and stop doing something if you tell me that it hurts you and injured you in any way. So just having said that, I definitely enjoy hearing from you and getting your feedback. And I also want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.